0: Hi, I'm Jimmy Correa, and thank you for listening to Conversations Between Addicts. Some of the most meaningful conversations I've had with people outside of my family were with people that had been where I'd been and had felt what I'd felt. It was raw, honest conversations that came after a 12-step meeting where buckets of tears were shed, or during the week when I called a friend because I needed help sorting through the mess in my head. They were the conversations where I wasn't trying to impress anyone and I knew that they didn't judge me for all the stupid things that I'd done. This is what Conversations Between Addicts is about. I hope that as you listen, you will be inspired with hope for a brighter future and open up to someone that you can trust in full honesty. And this is not a recovery program or any kind of replacement for professional help. As difficult as it may be, recovery really begins when you get real, fully honest with yourself and God. I urge you, if your life is being overtaken with addiction, get help. Talk with a family member, church leader, or colleague that you can trust. Go to a therapist or a counselor. Get the help that you need. Real recovery from addiction doesn't happen alone in isolation. I know you can be free and fill the full joy that comes with that freedom. Most of all, I want you to know that you're not alone in this. We really are all together. So reach out, speak up, and let's help each other out so that we can enjoy that that joy and freedom that comes from recovery from addiction. I'm pretty darn excited. I uh, am doing my first podcast live with my uh, dear friend, Sean. Um, So I'm excited to have Sean right here with me. Mm And uh, let me just quickly introduce him. Now, Sean and I met at a twelve-step a meeting, and this is one of my one of my favorite experiences. Because um, Sean, right now, he's uh, finishing up school to become a therapist uh, for marriage and family therapy. Is mm-hmm. that right? Yep. Okay. He's you know thirty years old. He's served in a mission. Um, he's married. He's got three kids now, and um, just a, a really great guy and i remember him coming and sitting down in a 12 step meeting and uh first first time in our, in our meeting and he and he's just lamenting like many of us do of like man i how can i i i'm i'm going to school to be a therapist how in the world can i help other people with the same problems that i can't even you know i'm dealing with and that's just isn't right. You know, and I, I just about like jumped over and gave him a hug. I'm like, Oh, hallelujah. I'm glad that, you know, one of these therapists is dealing with the same thing that I'm dealing with. Like, I don't know. Maybe that's a little over the top, but it honestly, honestly, um, did make me feel better. Um, because I, I, I've had that shame in my own life of like, Oh man, you know, uh, there's all these perfect people. And I, and going to therapists or or bishops or mentors and like, oh, they've they've never dealt with it. It has been a challenge for me personally. I don't know if everybody does. But for me, it's been a challenge to go talk to, you know, these these people are supposed to help me. And yet, I, I, I didn't feel like they really understood me. And so I've, I'm so glad that you're here, Sean, because, you yeah. know, it's, it, it honestly was... Uh, uh, A blessing for me,
1: and continues to be so. So thank you. Well, thank you. I'm I'm glad to be here, and it's one of those situations where everybody assumes that nobody else's kids are as bad as my kids in church. We're sitting on the pews, and nobody else's kids are loud. Mine are loud, and it's one of those situations where you, you think that nobody else is struggling through those things, and and yet, you know, here you are, and. I was actually very relieved to find so many of us there. Mm-hmm. It was my first meeting ever, and I was surprised that, um, you know, I wasn't alone, so to speak.
0: So Yeah, and I've heard that many times, and even it reminds me of uh, another time that I heard a guy, he came in, it was his first time, it was a little bit older gentleman, he was, uh, he's probably in his 50s or something, and it was the first time he'd come to a meeting, and he'd been dealing with uh, an addiction to pornography his whole life, and never told anybody. Didn't want to come to a twelve-step meeting because it's you know he thought oh there's just going to be a bunch of degenerates there and these you know <laughs> low-life scum that are down in their basement you know perverts all the time and you know and and he he showed up and he saw all of us he's like wow this feels like I'm in a Elders corps meeting or something or high yeah. pre- high, high council like you know because seriously it's it's yeah there's there's it, a lot of good guys there. Yeah, and and uh, I've heard, man, I, I'm amazed at how these guys in these twelve step meetings—they've got scripture just at the tip of their tongue, like they're doing their very best, they're trying so hard. And you know, and Sean, you're just—you're just one of those guys that you would never think would struggle with any kind of, you know, <laughs> personal problem or challenge. And
1: and yet here you are. Well, thank you. I that's a very kind introduction. I appreciate it.
0: (laughs) So tell me a little bit more about yourself or, um, you know, just kind of give us a feel for where. Uh, I don't know. How, how has this addiction affected you? I guess. Yeah.
1: So, you know, I didn't always want to be a therapist when I grew up. Um, computers are like my passion. I, I, I always understood computers, my dad. In fact, I learned in DOS, and uh, wow. many people nowadays <laughs> don't even know what DOS is, you know, but I learned in DOS because my dad worked for WordPerfect at the time, who then got bought out by Corel, and uh, anyway, so my dad even even taught me at a young age to um, work with computers, and so I thought for the longest time that that's what I was going to do. I was going to go into computers, and that was my thing. And uh, even in high school, I took web design classes, and I, I wrote code in Notepad. I wrote, I, I built web websites, writing code. Whereas now you can have programs that yeah. just drag and drop it, and the program will write the code for you. And uh, anyway, so I, I really thought that that's what I was going to do. And then on my mission, for whatever reason, I'm not saying it's wrong, but for whatever reason, members seem to give. More <laughs> credibility to missionaries than maybe they they deserve in in the sense that they would tell me and and my companion things that really should not be told to <laughs> us. <laughs> they would confide in us their problems, and mm-hmm. we would have to refer them all the time to the bishop or mm-hmm. to the stake president or mm-hmm. somebody like that. And and uh, I was really surprised that this nineteen year old, and now it's possible for eighteen year old. Mm-hmm um, young men to be put in these situations where people are coming to you and saying, what do I do with my husband or what do I do with my wife? We're having these marital problems and you know, all this kind of stuff. <laughs> You're like, uh... yeah. And so <laughs> it wasn't until about halfway through my mission that I got really fascinated with why people do what they do. What, mm-hmm. what motivates a person to do whatever it is that they do to choose the career that they choose to, um, cultivate a behavioral choice or whatever it is what what makes people tick mm-hmm. and so when I came home from my mission and, and I also you know, enjoyed helping people in the capacity that I could mm-hmm. and so when I came home from my mission I started looking into it and that's when I decided to go into therapy mm-hmm. um, marriage and family counseling specifically um, but I, I also struggled with this addiction mm-hmm. and this is something that I struggled with at a young age, uh, uh, I I don't even remember my initial exposure to it, but I know that I was young. I'll, I'll say somewhere around 11. Mm-hmm. And that's actually extremely common nowadays. Mm-hmm. In, in fact, 8 years old people, it's pretty common for 8-year-olds mm-hmm. and even younger to be exposed to it nowadays. And uh, it was an off-and-on problem for me all mm-hmm. growing up. And uh, I would go through phases where man, this sucks. I hate it. I I really don't want to do this anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I'd clean myself up. And sometimes I'd clean myself up for three months. Sometimes it'd be a week. Sometimes it would be, you know, six months. And then when I went on my mission, it was for two straight years and I was great. And I thought it was behind me Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to deal with this ever again. And oh, Mm -hmm. look how awesome this is. I just, I finally kicked it and I came home from my mission and not to not to begrudge the singles ward or, or any of the leaders that were there, but I wasn't given a calling right away, and or, or at all, actually. And um, the singles ward was pretty small, and so I wasn't really involved in church topics. I wasn't really on that day-to-day preaching, studying mm-hmm. the gospel basis, and so it crept back into my life again. Yeah.
0: And I think that's really common for a lot of return missionaries. I mean, yeah. I had the same experience, and and i I don't know that the the circumstance really makes a big difference It's but it's that big change and that's still you know it, those those habits those addictions are ingrained yeah. in there and they can come back fairly easily
1: yeah so and people have triggers you know what and it's different for every person it can be you know for drug addicts it can be a street corner they just associate a street corner with with um their addiction and and shopping, it, you know any addiction, any behavior has a trigger that's associated with that behavior. And when those people encounter those triggers, that's when those endorphins and and okay. uh, chemical responses in the brain kick in, and then they go, oh, i need to I need to solve this. I need to you know, and so anyway, so coming home and seeing my friends, my past friends again, and seeing that same atmosphere that I grew up in. Um, without realizing that they were triggers they were triggers and um, I hadn't learned really how to deal with it yet Mm -hmm. and uh, other than being completely occupied in the work when I was on my mission and -hmm. and that is certainly a help Um, and I'm a believer I should say this probably right at the beginning that um, the gospel of Jesus Christ is very healing the atonement can cleanse all sin I believe that 100% Mm -hmm. Jesus Christ suffered on the cross, and he died for us, and he experienced every pain, every discomfort, every trial, every tr- um, struggle that we could encounter in this life. And he had to do that so that, as the scriptures say, he could succor us. He could understand, and he could be an advocate to the Father for us, as it says in the scriptures. Um, and I forgot where I was going with that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I agree. I think it's important because even... You know, you get out. <coughs> excuse me. You get out on your mission. You're teaching the atonement to people. You're teaching teaching them. If you want to change your life, here's the steps you take. And and then you know, we look at our own lives and we're like, wait, I thought I took care of this. You know, and it yeah. comes back up and we're like, oh, you know, like there are all sorts of things could come ha- happen after that. All sorts of questions, you know. But for me, at least, it's become just this amazing. Learning experience because, uh, you know, on on my mission as a missionary, as I as I told people about Jesus Christ and, and the things that I knew in my heart, I knew He forgives sins absolutely, you know, and that didn't change, even after going through, continuing to go through these challenges with addiction. I think it just brought it up to a new level of understanding of. His love for me, and and the true nature of the atonement—that it's not just a one-sided thing of forgiving the past, but there's also this amazing grace that blesses us going forward in the future, you know. And I don't think I understood nearly a you know part of this, and it continues to to grow every every time. It's like, oh wow, man, yeah. this is even <laughs> more incredible than I thought. Like, yeah. oh, you know. And I think that's that's just a a testament of the, the goodness of God and, and His love
1: for us. So. Yeah, and saying that that you know brought me back on track. I remember <laughs> where I was going with that. Um, so that that the atonement and the understanding of the atonement and how it applies into your life that is a piece of the puzzle, mm-hmm. right? Um, the problem that I think it, it, this is my opinion, but the problem that I think that exists nowadays is um, there is a belief that and and. Almost every addict or recovering addict that goes to a meeting will say in their own way, in their mm-hmm. own terms, that there's got to be an answer to this. There's got to be one answer, one right answer. What is it? And I'll do that and be fixed and I'll be done. <laughs> and uh, so they'll try to find it. They'll try to find that one answer. And every recovering addict has multiple um opportunities or or times in their lives where they tried something new and it worked great for a little while and then they fell again and then they tried something else and it worked great for a while and then they fell again and um, so getting professional help that's again a piece of the puzzle Um, turning to the gospel of Jesus Christ again that's a piece of the puzzle Um, in the 12-step program we talk about turning to Christ and excuse me um, increasing our spirituality on a daily basis. That ap- that helps immensely. I think in one of my meetings I said um, that although the addiction and recovering from the addiction is never easy, it is so much easier with the gospel. And I felt that um, when I started coming back to church and started reading scriptures again, when I started turning to Christ and praying again. Um, but... Just as a person who gets bitten by a snake um, goes to the hospital, they also seek a blessing if they're members of the church, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we don't just go to the hospital um, if we're a faithful member of the church. We know that mm-hmm. the blessings of the gospel and the blessings of the Heavenly Father can be given through a priesthood blessing. Mm-hmm. And we also don't just get a blessing and then have the faith that, okay, mm-hmm. it'll be fine. I believe that if it was God's will to heal a person, sure. But we cover our bases. We do everything that we can possibly do and then leave the rest up to the Lord. And so in my situation, um, coming to Jesus Christ, coming back to church, strengthening my own testimony wasn't an immense help. Um, But I also had to go to the 12-step program. I also had to talk to other brothers and other people who were suffering from the same thing. I also had to... And this goes back to my studies as being a therapist, right? Mm-hmm. I before I went to church and sought spiritual strength, I thought, <laughs> I know what addiction is. I know exactly what it is. This is what happens in the brain with the chemical releases of dopamine, with all of these different things, uh, synapses and neurons connecting together, and other ones dying away, and uh, you know, strengthening the the addiction process. And I know what that is. And so in this situation, this is what I do to fix it. That didn't work on its own, and um, just praying didn't work on its own. Um, it's hard to really express <laughs> what I mean, but turning your whole self to Heavenly Father, seeking all the help you can, admitting to yourself that you needed that you needed help was was the change in my life that I needed really Uh, you know what
0: and I get that because I I, at least on some level I understand what you're saying because I I kind of went through the same thing like I, I thought well you know this is how repentance works and you you confess you pray you repent and then you just stop doing it and that's you know and it's fixed and I think the more I've gone through this, the more I'm realizing um, that the Lord has a lot more in mind for us in repentance than just fixing things. He wants us to learn something. He wants us to become better sons and daughters of God. Right. And And I've been so grateful for what I've been able to become because of this affliction. And it sounds crazy saying it that way, but you know, it's that understanding so much more about pride and humility and, and faith and, and God's love for me, like all these things that I had no idea about before. And, you know, one of the big things for me with pride, which is probably common for others is that you just want to, you know, like you ex- described earlier. You just want this fixed and gone and put, you know, mm-hmm. be done. And I've even heard people say that to me, of like, well, don't you believe in the atonement of Jesus Christ? Why don't you just repent and take care of it, you know, or right. you know, like, like it's this magic potion, and it is like magic, but not. It doesn't always work how we think it will, and most often it works in a different way because it's our pride that thinks it should work a certain way. You know, it's our pride that says, well, this is how it's supposed to work. And, and you know, God's sitting up there like, nah, you don't get it.
1: Yeah. I need you to learn <laughs> something here.
0: Yeah. It's not, oh, come on, let's do this again. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know? yeah. And and I'm just so grateful for for his patience with me. Yeah that he's teaching me how to, how to be a better person. And it's just Mm -hmm. awesome.
1: Yeah. And, and praying for help. Um, that is certainly a piece of the puzzle, you know, praying and asking, you know, for help, but kind of like what you were saying, God doesn't solve our problems for us. He asks us to learn. He wants us to grow. That's the whole reason we're here is to learn and grow and improve ourselves. And he will help us in any way that we can. But, um, or he will help us in every way that he can, but we can't just ignore all the help that's available and expect him to just take the burden away from us. We've got to learn to deal with it. We've got to learn to control our passions, to control our appetites. And so anyway, that's that's why I say praying alone is not the whole solution. And um, therapy alone is not the whole solution. It has to be a combination of bringing both everything we know about addiction from a physical and biological standpoint and everything we can do spiritually together um it is it is through both of those that we can overcome and uh call ourselves a recovering addict and resist temptation so this could sound kind of daunting maybe to somebody
0: that's like well wait wait a second i thought there was a fix (laughs) yeah You're, you're telling me they're not a fix You're telling me I'm going to have to keep dealing with this. Like that sounds kind of dismal. What would you say to someone that, that needs a little bit of hope in this process?
1: Yeah. Um, so the reason why it's, it's said the way that it's said, um, why, why there isn't a specific fix is because there's, everybody has a different personality. Everybody has different triggers. Everybody has different, um, levels of addiction. Um, Some are introductory and some are very far along the path. Um, And the way we deal with problems is, it varies from person to person. Um, The one thing that I can say is that Heavenly Father knows who you are. We lived with him for who knows how long before we came to this earth. I don't know how long we were there. I don't know, I, I have no idea. But I know that he knows us more than we know ourselves. And then on top of that, Jesus Christ came down and suffered for our sins. And part of suffering for our sins meant he had to feel every single pain, like we discussed before, every single anguish, every temptation, every single thing we could possibly experience in this life so that he could go to the father and be a proper representative and pay that sacrifice, pay for those sins for us. So of anybody on this earth or in heaven, that knows exactly what the individual person is going through, it is Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ. And I can say that hope does come when you turn to Heavenly Father and Jesus Christ, when you admit to yourself that you have had a problem, that you need some help, and that you're, you're done doing this alone, you're done trying it your own way. Um, hope does come. That was the most impactful, that's probably not even a word, that was of the most impact (laughs) or benefit to me when I first started along this path. I I went to an interview with the state presidency and uh, just a a typical interview and and they asked, is there anything in your life um, that you need to resolve? And I, I said, you know what, to myself, I am so done dealing with this. I had been hiding it, trying to deal with it before, trying to, Oh, maybe, maybe I'll just read another textbook. Maybe, maybe the answer is in there. And I just, you know, after 30 years of dealing with this, I was just done. I, and so I just, I confessed everything to them. They told me to go to my bishop. I I went to my bishop and I confessed everything to him. He told me to go to the meetings. I went to the meetings and that's when I -hmm. met you, Jimmy, Mm -hmm. and, um, other great people in the, in the community. And I, admitted my problem to them and then the hardest and most difficult thing in my life that I've ever had to do was confess to my wife she is a person who chose me to be with me to marry me this is a person that I love more than I can understand more than I've ever experienced before and I had to admit it to her And of course, this is the beginning of the recovery process. And so Satan's going to come in and he's not going to want me to recover. So he's going to tell me, she's going to leave you if you tell her. If you tell her she's going to leave you, she's going to take the kids. You're going to be left alone if you tell her. But I knew it was the right decision. I had to tell her. In fact, Jimmy, I called you for advice (laughs) the day that I was going to tell her. Uh And what did you tell me? I have no idea. (laughs) I hope hope it was
0: something good and not bad.
1: (laughs) You just gave me hope, really. Um, You did explain that it is different for everybody and and there is going to be hurt. And that's true. There is going to be some hurt. But you reassured me it was the right decision. She needs to know. She deserves to know. And I I will tell you this. when When I told her I was shaking so bad, I looked... I looked like I probably had Alzheimer's or something. Um, not to make light of that disease, I you know I apologize if anybody is offended by that. But I was visibly, physically shaking. I was so afraid to tell her, and all I could do was tell her I'm sorry, and that I loved her, and this wonderful person. My experience probably is very uncommon, I would say. Um, But she hugged me and she thanked me for telling her and she was hurt, but she was willing to stick with me and go through the process of recovery with me. And the next meeting, the next 12 step meeting that I went to, I, I felt so hopeful for the future. The, the problem with addiction is that it's a, it's an endless cycle. You, your body tells you, you need something, whatever the addiction is, um, your body tells you, you need something. And it's been reinforced biologically and mentally, um, emotionally that you need this specific thing in order to feel better. Um, and then you do that thing and then you feel terrible about yourself. You feel like you have no willpower. You feel like you, anyway, you you just feel awful. There's Mm -hmm. depression, you know, um, all those feelings of inadequacy come in. Shame, sadness, all those things come in. It's a continuing downward cycle. Exactly, which yeah. makes you feel worse. So what do you do to feel better? You go back to the addiction. And over time, you just feel like there's no hope. There's no way I can get out of this. And, and furthermore, the most important or the most uh, difficult thing is that you feel unworthy to ask Heavenly Father for help. So you mm-hmm. hide from Him too. You mm-hmm. stop going to church. You stop accepting callings. You stop praying. You stop reading your scriptures because that is not something that you're allowed to do anymore. But I can tell you that when I got over that, when I realized those were not my thoughts, those were not correct thoughts or influences. Mm -hmm. And when I started those things, I felt so much hope and so much confidence in the future and Not to say that I'm a wonderful, amazing person now, (laughs) but looking back at where I was a year ago versus where I am now, I'm very early on in this process. I'm only a year into it. Or actually even less than that. It's like eight months. Um, My life is so much better. I feel so much more at peace. And more importantly, this is the most important thing that I can express to anybody I feel and know that Heavenly Father loves me, and uh, I have this—I have this idea. <laughs> Sorry, I'm kind of just—I'm kind of just, just gabbing, it. talking, talking, that's, and talking. That's why we're here. <laughs> <laughs> but you—you you talked earlier, Jimmy, that your value never diminishes, right? That's the same for everybody. We always assume, the world teaches us that when we do something that's not socially acceptable or that's against the the norm, that we are now outside of the box and we're somewhat lesser of a person than the people within the box or the people that follow certain behaviors or whatever it is. And um, we feel less for that. Um, that's how cliques start. That's how segregation and all these different things start is because people think that they're better or worse than other people. And so they just find different groups and where they feel like they belong. The reality is, is that a person's worth, a person's value is never diminished in the sight of God. Um, We are never forgotten. Um, People feel like... (laughs) They can they can hide. They want to hide, and they want to not be known to anybody. They just want to wallow in their own okay. sadness and pity. But nobody has ever forgotten. Nobody has ever looked over in the sight of God. And there's a scripture that says, uh, let's see, I wrote it down here. Oh, yeah. It says, can a woman forget her sucking child? And he says, yeah, she might forget you. She might, but I will not forget thee. And then referring to Christ, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Thy walls, thy barriers, thy addictions, sins, they're continually before me. I know you. I know everything you're struggling with. He will not forget you. He cannot forget you. And then... I but be- i believe it's in amos it says the spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of god we know through the spirit that we are the children of god and th- and as a child of god he will not forget us and he has never said ever to go away in fact mm-hmm. he always says open the door <laughs> when i knock open the door mm-hmm. come unto me all ye that labor and are heavy laden and i will give you rest mm-hmm. he says all of those things it is the world that teaches us that we don't belong it is the world that teaches us that we are not good enough. While our worthiness may change, depending on sin, our, our worthiness, our, our ability to perform priesthood ordinances or go to the temple or those things may change, the value of a person never changes. All the blessings of the kingdom are available to everyone. Um, and that is something that I just, I, I can't, express adequately (laughs) for, for my own weakness, I guess. Oh, I, uh, I, I agree that that's a,
0: it's a very personal feeling, very personal understanding of God's love for you. And, uh, it's a hard thing to understand, especially when you're caught in a addictive cycle, shame, you know that that self-loathing, um, to to admit to yourself and finally be honest with God that hey, all right, Heavenly Father, I guess you're right. Maybe I'm not so bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because that's really what He's telling us, and and that's one of the one of the sneakiest things I think of pride is that we somehow think we can tell God that he's wrong. Yeah. That he's told us over and over again in so many ways, I love you. I don't care what you did. I want to help you get going in the right direction. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, over and over again, he tells us that in so many ways. I mean, that's the whole purpose of why he gave his son as a sacrifice, and you being a parent can feel a little bit of that too. But How, how could someone give up their, their own child to save people that hate you? You know? And, uh, yeah. it's, it's incredible. It, it's, uh, it's very difficult to describe the feeling of God's love for you. And,
1: you know, one last thought, I, it's kind of two thoughts really, in one Uh, thought part a (laughs) is that um, too many people within the church and without are afraid to ask questions. Um, We're taught that faith is, is incredibly important. And when, when we don't know, we have faith that it'll happen. And faith is an essential principle of the gospel. And so we just assume that we should have faith in everything and we never ask questions. And I don't think that's right. I think we should ask questions. We're here to learn, right? How do you learn unless you ask a question? So those people that struggle with the idea, excuse me, I'm coughing a little bit. Um, So those people that struggle with the idea that does God love me? He he can't possibly love me or he can't possibly help me or whatever it is, ask the question. um, My bishop Um, says um, in a a meeting that that he had had with somebody else, he said, the the way, so let me just rephrase that. My (laughs) bishop was in a meeting with his current bishop at the time, this was years ago, Mm -hmm. and his current bishop said, the one way that he is guaranteed unequivocally every single time to feel the spirit is to ask Heavenly Father if he loves him. Mm-hmm. And every single time he's, he's gotten confirmation of that through the spirit. And those are powerful moments, individual, powerful spiritual experiences. And so those people that are, that wonder mm-hmm. ask and, and my personal testimony, my personal witness is that he will tell you. And that's what gave me the hope of that I talked about before. Um, the other thing is, is breaking down that pride. I had to have my pride broken. Um, I took an astrology class. It was an elective, but I had to do it for some some credit that I I can't remember at this you learned at something. this point. Yeah, great. I learned something. that was <laughs> awesome, yeah. But I had to take an astronomy class. And in this astronomy class, I learned that I'm going to get these numbers wrong, okay? Mm-hmm. I, they're not going to be exact numbers, but it just gives you a general idea. But something like 1.8 million earths planet Earths will fit mm. inside the sun. Something ridiculous like that. One point mm. eight million will fit inside the sun. And our sun is actually incredibly small compared to the other stars in the universe. There's another star, Betel Betelgeuse or Betelgeuse or something, that our sun can fit in that thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Mm. And so it just kind of gives you this this idea of how big the universe is. The light travels really fast really 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 fast and it would take yeah it would take like millions of years to get from one end of our galaxy to the other and our solar system is only a tiny speck within our galaxy and it takes eight minutes for the light to reach from the sun to our earth and it's just ridiculous how huge the universe is and then you start thinking about okay we had a recent uh probe or satellite that we sent you know to the edge of our solar system and it took 20 years at the fastest we could travel to get to pluto and that's like nothing that is so close (laughs) in comparison to the rest of the galaxy and then um nasa has this hubble deep space program i don't know if you've heard of it the hubble deep space program Mm -hmm. um they took a a little tiny point in the sky. They looked at the moon and there was a tiny point in the sky that was right next to the moon. It was like the bottom left corner or something. And they picked this point because there was no visible light from this tiny little square. No visible light. So they took the Hubble telescope and they focused on it for a really long time. (laughs) Days, weeks, months, I don't know. A really long time. They just focused on it. When they finally developed that picture, they saw thousands, thousands, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of stars within that picture where no light was before. Now there was more light than they've ever seen before Hmm. in, in our visual capability of our galaxy. And then they took that picture and they zoomed in and each one of those little stars was an individual galaxy. There were spiral galaxies. There were gigantic galaxies. There were tiny galaxies that were just starting to form, but each galaxy has thousands of stars and planets and things in it. Hmm. And then, using gravitational waves and science, right, (laughs) using NASA smart people science, they were able to discover what's called the Laniakea Cluster. The Laniakea Cluster is this gigantic um, gravitational system of galaxies in which our galaxy, or everything that we saw within that Hubble Deep Space Telescope, was Mm. just a tiny little pinprick in one of the tendrils that floated off of the Laniakea Cluster. It was just ridiculously huge. Anybody that's listening, look up the Laniakea Cluster, and it'll show you where our galaxy is. And then keep in mind how small our solar system within that galaxy is. Mm -hmm. And I got to thinking about that, and I was like, wow, that is incredible how huge that is. And then I started thinking about God created everything, right? Mm -hmm. Worlds without number have I created Um, He says that more than the grains of the sands of the sea he created. And of those millions of planets and stars and worlds that he's created, I am on just one of those. Mm -hmm. And of this single planet, I am just one person out of the billions of people who are on here now, the billions of people who have lived before, and however many people are going to live here again, Uh, after I'm gone. And yet I was still important enough for heavenly father to send his first, one of his firstborn sons down to earth to die for me. He knows me out of all of that. He knows me. Mm -hmm. How dare I ever think that the atonement doesn't apply. (laughs) How dare I ever think that I know better Mm -hmm. that I know how to fix myself. Not only does he know me better, But he sacrificed so much for me. Mm -hmm. And so, I just, without words that I'm able, I I don't have the words able to express it, but people need to know, Heavenly Father knows you. He knows you. Mm -hmm. And he knows how to Mm -hmm. help you. Whether that's seeking help through alternate means as well as the Spirit, or whether... Maybe you do just need a priest to bless. I don't know. I don't know the answers to all the questions, but what I know is that Heavenly Father knows.
0: Mm-hmm. So anyway, I think that's perfect.
1: Yeah, perfect place to end.
0: Thank you, Sean. Wow, I I appreciate your your willingness to be open and honest about this, to share some of your some of the things that you've learned, share your heart, and I hope that those listening could could feel. Um, of your spirit and that emotion that you you bring with you um because uh yeah there's someone out there listening that needs to hear this and i hope that you will will take hope that god does love you and that there is hope for recovery from the most devastating addictions um we may not know how to fix it but i guarantee god knows the solution and uh, unfortunately that's not always what we want Mm -hmm. but do we want what we want or do we want something better i think that was a quote from conference last last conference i think elder holland said that do we do we want what we want or do we want something better and that better is what god has in store for us so thank you for listening thank you for being part of this the main thing we hope that comes out of this is that you Choose to be a little more honest, a little more open, and be willing to talk with someone else, share your challenges, find someone that you can trust and rely on. Don't try and do this on your own. Speak up. Talk with somebody. You can always call me or Sean or show up at a 12-step meeting. We'd be happy to help, so thank you, and we'll see you later. Hi, this is Jimmy Correa. I'm the host of Conversations Between Addicts. Thank you so much for joining us, and I hope that you'll visit us at our website, www.jimmyandshelly.com. It's J-I-M-M-Y-A-N-D-S-H-E-L-L-Y, where you can find out more about me or my wife, Shelly, and are some of the things that we enjoy doing. Most of all, I hope that you will share this podcast with someone else. My experience has been that, every family is hit with some kind of addiction depression some kind of a big challenge like that and it really takes having an open honest conversation to strengthen and build relationships I know that that's been a huge blessing in my life and I hope that you will reach out and start those conversations with someone else because it's hard to start sometimes most of all I hope that you remember that there are people out there that need to have those conversations with you. They need to hear honest, open, heartfelt feelings and know that they're cared about. Really and truly, there are people depending on you. So go out and share. Go out and talk with them. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.